This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for uh, Saturday, October 5th, 2019. We are uh, headed towards 2020. I'm excited the, about that. The future is almost here. Yes, I'm lying about being excited about that. It's just another year. Another I, year full of cybernetic implants, yeah. direct neural interface into the matrix. Come on. Oh, right. It's Cyberpunk 2020 next year. This year was Blade Runner and like New York something 2019. And next year is Cyberpunk 2020. We are living in the future. Did you think we'd ever make it? Yeah. I used to own that role-playing game back in the day. That was one of my favorites. We played that uh, every week in high school. Actually, I used to own the original Cyberpunk, which was set in 2013. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, Big black box. I don't even think they. Uh, I don't. I don't think they sell copies or PDFs or anything on their website I, I think that our talsorian memory hold that product that uh yeah that 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 product uh of course it came out in the 80s so you gotta kind of you gotta kind of give them some slack for missing the mark on that but still man 2013 came and went nobody even remembered that it was a cyberpunk year in 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 the game you know that it it predicted cyberpunk by that year, but here we are 2020 and uh, it, it, we live in a cyberpunk dystopia, but not the cool kind. That's for sure. I, I think, I think cyberpunk, one of my good friends uh, always said that the problem with cyberpunk fiction, why nobody reads it anymore is that it just wasn't pessimistic enough about <laughs> what the corporations would be like in the future. I saw something today that I was like, wow, that's, I mean, we've got the pod apartments in uh, LA and San Francisco and they called them pods, but what they really are are bunk beds in a shared room. They're not even as pretend private as like uh, Hong Kong or Japanese coffin motels, right? Where you at least get to pull down a, some blinds between you and other people and you can put in headsets and not have to pay attention to the people around you. These are just bunk beds. This is just camp. This is summer camp is really what it is. They call them bods. It's just summer camp. They're lying. I had more privacy in my college dorm. Yeah, exactly. So th this is like the dystopian, uh, you know, and it's like what? Three thousand dollars a month in the Bay Area, uh, or two thousand dollars a month, something like that in LA, to live in one of these "quote unquote" pods, which is to say the bottom bunk of the bunk bed. So that's the dystopian living quarters you've got. And for food, they're kind of they're trying to push bugs, 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 and. Eat Oh yeah, like there's your your nearly limitless protein source. It's it's actually hell. And didn't you know that there are places around the world where 
people eat bugs as a delicacy or, or a staple. That's insane. And and then that, that reporter chick listened to a professor and uh, went on try to do a bug diet for a week. No, that's disgusting. Why? What happened? She ended up being depressed, being malnourished, uh, throwing up meals. She couldn't get it down, and, and she was suicidal. She almost committed suicide. Wow. That's... <laughs> Whew. I'm laughing at it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not laughing at suicide per se. I'm laughing because any food source that makes you want to kill yourself is right away probably a food source you shouldn't encourage the whole planet to eat, right? Yeah, I, I'm going, that's a pretty good test of whether that's a worthwhile and she's talking about like preparing the bugs and they're like crunching in this sandwich and she's trying to pretend that they're something else. So she's literally, I'm sorry, this is going to be gross. She's literally like eating maggots. No. Like, why? <laughs> why? That's right. I mean, uh, this is, th this is the, uh, this is the problem with the visions of the future. People swear that we're going to have to do all these things to accommodate, you know, massive population growth or uh, life on life in space or life on other planets or something like that, or, you know, it, all these futures. And it's sort of an, it's just an obvious trope of, of dystopian fiction is that, yeah, maybe even if we grant you that, what's the point? What, is life worth living if you subsist on grain and bugs instead of beef and vegetables? Come on. So, so this is this is the future they're trying to push on us. is is worse than any of the cyberpunk you've ever heard, right? Yeah, bugs and pods. And then I saw a new thing today, blew my mind. They have Glenn Livett Scott. Uh, which apparently is supposed to be like high value scotch. I'm not a alcohol drinker. I don't drink alcohol. Um, so I don't actually what are know. You, what are you Mormon or something? I actually am. Yes. Oh, yes. oh yeah. So actually, yeah, actually. Um, but I, I don't know what Glenlivet is supposed to be. I mean, somebody was saying it's a sipping whiskey. Okay. But they have, and this is this is the funniest thing to me. They have tied pods. Wait, the, the detergent pods? Unfamiliar. Only instead of being filled with tide, they're filled with scotch. So you just you pop the pod in your mouth and and break it with your teeth and enjoy a burst of scotch. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's horrifying. I know you don't drink at all. Uh, I actually don't drink myself, but I have had scotch. Have you had scotch? No, no. <laughs> that's uh, 
that's an incredibly foul substance to just get a burst of in your mouth. <laughs> that's that's actually insane. <laughs> now, this video went up October 2nd. And it was posted on the original, on the official Glenlivet account. So either it was six months and a day late to be, you know, a April Fool's joke, or it was five months and 30 days early to be an April Fool's joke, or they're really serious about it, and they're actually making it. Um, and it looks like they're actually making it. I, I went and searched it out online, and, and they're serious. This is a serious thing. This is a real thing that people are they, – they, they went to some super hype elite bartender or, or bar that serves, like, the wealthiest of the wealthiest and had them create a mixed drink three of them, three different types of mixed drinks. Uh, so you're not actually getting just raw scotch. You're getting an entire one of three different um, mixed drinks. You pop it in and, and it melts on your tongue and then you get the, you get the scotch. That I mean, I can, I can actually, I can picture that, but here's my, here's my actual problem with that. Um, so, so, okay. You're not getting a big burst of scotch and you're great. That's fine. You're not, you're not going to die of alcohol poisoning and you're not going to spit it up. I get it. But isn't this the perfect thing for the alcoholic on the go? I mean, isn't, isn't this, we're, and we're going to talk movies today. Isn't this the perfect thing to put in your pocket or in your purse going to the movies? I mean, people are going to take Glenn Livet in their So they're going to have in one pocket, they're going to have a bag of, of uh, raisinets. And in the other pocket, they're going to have two or three uh, scotch or mixed drink packets and and they're going to sit down and they're going to watch Joker and they're just going to get messed up, right? <laughs> so, uh, so that's like that's the that's the uh, that's the cyberpunk dystopia we're living in. We're living in a cyberpunk dystopia where the straws can kill you. Where you're not allowed to have straws to save the environment, but they hand out all the needles that addicts want and those litter the streets. Where you have to sidestep piles of human feces on the road. Uh, where the streets are full of rats and the dinner plates are full of bugs. And you sleep in a pod and your liquor comes in Tide Pods. That's... Isn't the future grand? It's it's just so awesome. That is more, and we haven't even got to like all the other stuff that comes in the movie. That is just the most dystopian cyberpunk dystopia, and, and I was a connoisseur of cyberpunk back in the day. I watched all the cyberpunk movies I could. I read all the cyberpunk books I could. I was 
played all the cyberpunk role-playing games. I was into cyberpunk, and not one of them was was this dystopian. Absolutely. Uh, the, in fact, I think the most disturbing future story I, I ever read uh, along those lines was a post-apocalyptic setting where everybody had to live in basically concrete bunkers, and they were these tubes that went maybe a mile underground, right? Even they didn't eat bugs. They used, they, 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 they may have recycled their dead as fertilizer for uh, gardens at the bottom of the tubes, but that's as disturbing as it got when you go, oh yeah, that, that seems plausible. That's real dark, right? Yeah. Even, even they didn't eat bugs. Like, no, <laughs> fuck that. We're, we're, we're going to compost our grandparents and make, grow vegetables. Screw you guys. So that's the news I got today. Just finally set it all off. You're like, wow, Tide Pod liquor. Great. At least they're marketing to the right generation, though. You know, they pick the right cohort of people to market to the the Tide yeah. Pod challenge generation. Could we get a? I think they might get a lawsuit out of this. This is sort of like the the Gen Z version of Joe Camel, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this is hold on. Tide Pods full of liquor. This is clearly marketed to children <laughs> and teens. Awful, awful idea. Okay, and and, and and this is and I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get an, uh, angry for a second. And this is what the useful idiots want. Like, this is such a naked attempt by either some trolls or elites or, or the elites of society going, "Hey, guess what, guys? You're gonna you're gonna live in concrete pods in a bunk bed and eat bugs. Uh, like you, you you're just gonna you're just gonna eat shit." <laughs> And and there's there's a small group of people in the world who just they they they're such hardcore environmentalists. They're like, yeah, we're we need to do that. This is for the future. Knowing full well that the elites are never giving up their veal and hundred uh, year old scotch and and their nice mansions with walled gardens, right? <laughs> it's just and plastic in, straws. And, no, I mean, that's right. They're, they're they're gonna drink. They're gonna drink their real food and wine out of plastic straws. Uh, <laughs> but you you're gonna save the planet by living in a pod. Yeah, it's a beautiful future. I love it already so much. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> All right um, then. So dystopian so, past. That's kind of what the Joker was, though, was a dystopian past. Yeah, it sure was. I mean, it was. It's set in sort of a Gotham City. Well, Gotham City's New York City. We we all know that, right? It's it's sort of set in eighties ish New York City. Late, yeah, late late seventies, early eighties, New York City. Because that's when that garbage strike thing came about. The New York garbage strike. It's a real thing that really happened. The garbage workers went on strike and trash just piled up. They they didn't even go as far with that as they should have been. New York City, they had like huge mounds of garbage outside of buildings. Like it was covering up windows on the first floor. Um, and 
it, the smell and the rats were unimaginable. And in none of the shots did you really get to see that. I, I think they should have gone further in showing that just at least go as far as the real world did. Um, that would have been like a real kick in the face to show what New York City in a garbage strike was like. But yeah, that that's the time period we're dealing with. And and we both saw it, so that's good. Uh, I that I I don't I really don't know where to start other than that. It's it starts off with that sort of dark, grimy, uh, graffitied up New York City slash Gotham City at that time period. And I didn't know that about the garbage strike. That's that's really interesting history. Yeah, New York during the seventies. I mean, it, it New York during the seventies. Speaking of cyberpunk, New York during the seventies is what gave us cyberpunk. That's where cyberpunk was born, not because of the people, not because there was a group of artists living in New York, but because the urban decay that had become, that New York had descended into, became so emblematic. I mean, it is so iconic. It gave us a whole host of movies like the Death Wish series, um, and all of it was focusing on this urban decay, and that's where cyberpunk started, was focusing on this urban decay. Um, and again, that's where this movie is focusing on that urban decay. That's where uh, Daredevil, the uh, Marvel comic figure in his Hell's Kitchen, uh, is like that. Uh, that's where, um, you know, all of this... Uh, Urban, heavy, heavy, heavy graffiti, graffiti covering all the subway cars, covering every available surface, um, high crime, ultra high crime, Times Square being filled with triple X businesses, uh, with, you know, peep shows where you go in and put a quarter in a machine and the wall comes up and there's you know, a, a live person dancing for you and then the wall comes down. And so people just feed quarters in. I mean, all of that is New York in the 70s. If you look at Batman Year One, um, the comic series by Frank Miller, that was the 70s. And even his cars looked like cars from the 70s. Um, that urban decay. And, and that was considered to be something like just sort of a weather system of crime that blew into town and was going to stay there forever. Uh, it was absolutely not a weather system of unavoidable crime, but man, uh, that's what people thought it was and people said it was, and you just had to deal with it because it was going to be here forever. Uh, Rudy Giuliani proved them wrong, um, thankfully. Um I, and, but still, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's set. The Joker movie is set in that proto cyberpunk urban decay city. That's a really good point. And that's one of the first things you really notice when, when you watch it, this, this film has a lot more to do with taxi driver than any, uh, taxi driver or death wish even than any comic book film. Uh, and the first thing you notice is that, I mean, they set up the garbage strike uh, through, you know, clumsy radio exposition, but still it's, 
it's the first thing you notice in that film is the graffiti and the grime and the dirt and frankly the misery. Yeah. And everybody in the city is miserable. Everybody's upset. Everybody's, you know, and, and they didn't do this in the movie. And I think they should have because the same time they had this massive garbage strike with these mounds of garbage all over the city, they were having a record breaking heat wave. And so all this trash rotten food inside these garbage bags were being cooked and all of this smell was just pouring out of them and if you lived in new york and you opened a window pretty much wherever you were in the city what came in wasn't fresh air what came in was that rotting trash smell Everybody was angry. And this is real. This is not in the Joker movie. I'm describing real New York. Yeah, I, I just want to let everybody know, if, if you haven't seen the movie and you're thinking about seeing it, there are no smells of garbage <laughs> in Joker. Just want to make that clear. But they, they should have gone a little bit further and explained that everyone is upset, not just because of the trash, but because there's a heat wave on and the trash is cooking and it's piling up and piling up and and all of this. Uh, but it, but this this wasn't necessarily about that. That was just to set the stage for the Joker's, well, the guy who'd become Joker, Arthur's personal misery. See, I think I think that would have made a great. Um, I think that would have made a great. Uh, I care so little for English teachers and the crap they spouted um, that I don't even remember the correct word, like motif. Um, there's some specific word where you have something going on in the story that's a concrete object that stands in for the mental... Uh, changes or the mental state of a main character. And I think that garbage rotting in the sun and just getting worse and worse and worse and smelling worse and worse and worse would have been a great uh, stand-in or a great, you know, parallel to Arthur himself. It would explain why people are so violent, explain why the city is on the verge of, of exploding and then set up, you know, some later events uh, even better. Yeah, actually, that's that, that's a really good point. That would have been useful. That would have been useful in this story. And and, and I want to make something explicit for, for everybody who's listening in, if you haven't seen the film. If, if the trailers gave you the impression that this was going to be some sort of artsy character study of this guy and his descent into madness, you, you'd be right. This, this, that sort of... Um, ham-fisted uh, metaphor would have been perfectly at home in this film. <laughs> uh, absolutely um, perfect. So, so let's start off with where we usually start off. Did you like the movie? I, I have very mixed feelings about the film, which I know everybody hates that answer, but... At the first 30 minutes of the film, because of that 
uh, oppressive misery and everything. I wanted to walk out. Seriously. Uh, and when I left the theater, I thought, man, that, that was very unpleasant. It's a dark and disturbing film. I thought it was very unpleasant. <clears throat> after And after sleeping on it, I realized, yeah, only a only a an expertly crafted film would have made me feel that way. It wasn't bad like the room is bad. Uh, it's it's a it's actually a really good film with a lot of flaws that I'm gonna nitpick about later. Uh, but overall, it was a great movie that I didn't like and maybe I wasn't supposed to. Does that make sense? Well, that, that's pretty much where I fall down, uh, fall in line, is it is a well-made movie, uh, very skillfully made movie. Um, I mean, the story makes sense. I, I don't want to go on a limb and say that, because that's not exactly what I mean. You can understand the story. The story is clear. When you're sitting there watching the movie, as the story happens... Uh, once you've reached the end of the movie, the story is completely comprehensible in 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 retrospect. You understand everything that happened. Um, they didn't they didn't mess up any of the stuff. I and mean, usually we're complaining that, oh yeah, this particular you know cinematography and special effects are great, but you know the script was just they just let it down. It was all wasted because the script was a mess. This script was not a mess. Um, so yeah, uh, all of the technical things were on point. The story itself was on point. And the movie, the director of the movie was was quite successful in making you, in provoking the emotions he wanted you to feel at any given moment. All of that is true. It was just not an enjoyable movie. It was quite an uncomfortable movie. And on the deepest level, on the thematic level, because um, you can judge like different layers of the movie. On the most superficial level, there's like complete technical incompetence. Like you can't set up a shot. <laughs> you you want someone to look through a keyhole. So but you, the house you're in doesn't actually have keyholes, so they look through the um, look through the doorknob where it, where it gets locked and unlocked. And these are just like basic incompetence. But on the deepest level, I think is like, is this a fulfilling movie or not? Is it meaningful or not? Is it, you know? entertaining or uplifting or not and this movie fails on that level it's just it it focuses in tight on a garbage bag cooking in the sun and just sits on it for two hours yeah that's that's a good way of putting it i'm i'm a little surprised that we're on the same page there uh there's another layer where it is very important and meaningful. And and that's the whole angle of uh, how, how this reflects on people today. 
and I, I think a lot of people are going to feel like they're in that in the same position as Joker in the sense of right now life sucks for a lot of people. And and a lot of people are they're alone or or having trouble fitting in, that sort of thing. It's a common theme actually on the internet. And in the same way that those 70 movies tapped into the zeitgeist of New York City in the 70s, I think this one taps into that zeitgeist, the zeitgeist of today. In in response to, I don't know, I don't want to use their, their silly marketing uh, nonsense because uh, – a lot has been made of the whole incel thing, which is mostly just hilarious. Uh, oh, but I it, warned people last night. I should let the audience know. Uh, for those who are worried, I before I went into the movie theater last night, I warned everybody that I was going to see the movie just in case an incel showed up at my theater and turned my my perfect body into something resembling a colander filled with marinara sauce that that you could stand witness to my last words um but fortunately that did not happen um i walked out of uh out of the movie theater with my skin still intact the closest thing to my body getting turned into marinara sauce was the actual marinara sauce on the Subway meatball sub I was eating. Very good. Everybody's glad you made it. <laughs> Some people might not have put that together so far. So, yeah. Uh, the the big the the big difference is that the I think the people writing it weren't actually trying to make a big point. They were just sort of feeding off of that. Um, they're feeding off of that general sense because the the character Arthur really is completely insane. Uh, uh, there's there's no he really doesn't have any redeeming qualities or anything like that. I think it's an interesting thing though. Um, I in order to discuss this though, I'd have to give a I'd have to give a spoiler, but I don't want to. Yeah, it's okay. No spoilers. I honestly, I think if you if you if you can handle a dark and disturbing film, or you like the ultra violence that sort of thing, uh, absolutely go see it. We just discover at some point in the movie that Arthur and another person share kind of similar symptoms. Um, with the uh mental conditions that they have they kind of share symptoms and both of them were exposed to um people doing uh, we must be in spoiler space because your mic cut out <laughs> I, I'm not sure what point he was getting at. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'll go over this comment right here by Christopher Cordham. What's interesting is the director's comments about how he used to make dumb bro comedies. He had fun with 
And he made this as dark as he did because social justice in lefties killed. Did he really say that? I don't know about that. Why? Well, I, I mean, I, I think comedy's always had its its sort of place as a as a tool for the uh, for the elites. We've lost Eddie Warpig. Well, then we're going to talk about what I want to talk about. Here's what I think really worked in the Joker: the uh, the setting, of course, and the cinematography. As I said at the beginning of the film, I actually I felt so disturbed that I didn't want to watch the rest of the film. I made myself see it, and there were a couple of reasons for that. Some of them good, some of them bad. The really interesting part for me was the way they used the setting, and we talked about that already in the show. Uh, it was dark and dirty and disturbing, and I really uh, I really responded to that in probably a, a negative way. Uh, but the acting was also phenomenal, and the dialogue, unlike many other movies these days, wasn't painful or anything. So you had Joaquin Phoenix, of course, famous for being in these art house style uh, films like her and that ridiculous uh, personal story was that you were never really here or I'm blanking on the name of his solo film. I think the acting was just phenomenal uh, and I really enjoyed what happened there. Uh, on the flip side of that is that uh, a couple things I didn't like is that they had a couple of cheesy art house moments. Uh, you know, close-ups of Joaquin Phoenix smoking a cigarette while morose music plays in the background. That sort of thing sort of turned me off. It was a, it was a little pretentious, a lot pretentious. So I think guilty is charged. This this movie's uh, and there, there's no surprises from the trailer. Uh, I watched the trailer and I'm like, wow, this this looks like uh, pretentious garbage. It's definitely not garbage, but is most certainly pretentious. Yeah, let's talk about the the incel. Uh, what is it? What do we call it? Non-traversy? The media hoping for an incel shooter at the movie. Yeah, you, you can tell that, that the character was sort of inspired by uh, that type of person, that, that incel. Uh, but I can tell you from watching the film, it was purely, uh, purely fantasy made up for marketing. Uh, like I said before, there's nothing redeeming about uh, the Joker uh, it was all just a, a ridiculous thing to get. And can you believe how uh, gullible the the media are? That they're going to just run with a completely ridiculous story just because. Frankly, I, I don't understand it at this point. Uh, and I don't understand why anybody listens to the media on anything. But... That's what happened. We we had a bunch of people. In fact, there were I saw pictures of theaters that had a no single male policy at the uh, 
We're hey, welcome back. We're just talking about the uh, the ridiculous controversy about incels shooting up theaters. Completely ridiculous. Now I've got to get my brain back in gear. Do you? Do yeah. you? Well, I just, I just, I was just waxing uh, on on what I liked about the acting and the writing, and what I didn't like, for that matter. Um. Yeah, the insult thing—that was a joke. Uh, pure, pure marketing bullshit. <laughs> I mean, here's the—I don't know if you touched already on what, because they—they were saying like, "Oh yeah, the Joker's raising an incel army in the movie, and it's going to inspire incels to attack <laughs> all across <laughs> the country." Um, totally absurd. Did have you talked about who the real army is in in the uh, in the movie? I was just about to get there. So so, and this is this is a mild spoiler, but uh, the actions of Arthur uh, inadvertently kick off this this popular rebellion, sort of reminiscent of uh, you know the seventies riots in New York City. Or, and, <laughs> or the Detroit riots, or the Chicago riots, or uh, the Oakland riots. I mean, and looking at recent history, do you know what? <laughs> it's just, it's just Occupy Wall Street and a bunch of Antifa. Yeah, <laughs> they've got masks on. Only instead of black masks, they've they've got clown masks on, because Joker and. They're carrying signs, and you have to see these signs to believe them. They're carrying signs that literally say, resist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bad guys in the movie, the army that the Joker raises up or inspires are Antifa. Okay, it's, oh, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, and I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. It absolutely makes sense in the movie. It absolutely uh, makes sense plot-wise. It's not a, um, it's it's not like they're lecturing anybody or trying to say, oh, Antifa's bad. It just is the themes of the movie that they're, they're bringing out, that they've brought out with all over the movie because Arthur himself is a poor man. And so, you know, just the way some events happen uh, and people are already angry about the upper class, the rich, the politicians, uh, judges, people who have, um, who have uh, kind of make them feel bad about themselves and, and kind of left them suffering. But man, it just, they're Antifa. It's not an insult army. <laughs> It's an Antifa army, and that is just so perfect, so beautiful uh, that people have been screeching about this for months and months, and it's like the exact opposite of what they said. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. I, I mean, I'll say that the narrative's in place. Uh, most normies and, and le normies and lefties probably aren't going to notice the distinction, but, but you're right. When you watch it, it's just hilarious. I will say one really good thing about that aside from being hilarious 
the one thing's always bothered me about Joker stories is where does he get henchmen? <laughs> uh, no, no amount of promised cash is enough to work with the Joker. He's just as likely to murder you before the job is done, right? So where does he get henchmen? Where does he get uh, bank robbers and and thugs and things like that? And this this uh, sort sets it up perfectly. <laughs> uh, the the this whole Antifa mob and everything like that. They're wearing the Joker masks. They're uh, you know they they he's he's be some sort of a symbol to them. So the idea that a bunch of uh, malcontents would would feel some sort of loyalty to him. It actually makes sense. Yeah, and here's the thing that that I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know if this harkens back to an earlier Joker or not. But the Joker in this movie. Uh, we see his first kills, the first people he actually killed. And he, with one exception maybe, he never kills anybody who hasn't done him wrong in some way. Ooh, I'm surprised you spoiled that. That was really interesting. He doesn't kill anybody who wasn't asking for it. Um, and maybe it was a big thing, and maybe it was a small thing. But was that a major spoiler? That didn't feel like a major spoiler to me. No, but it was one of the, one of the interesting things that I noticed throughout the film, is that uh, it's not a major spoiler. But yeah, everybody, up until the very end, of course... Everybody deserves it. Every everybody. the The thing that makes him a villain isn't that he kills people; it's that uh, he has absolutely is a psychopath. He has absolutely no remorse, absolutely no uh, empathy. So, and and you look at. Uh... Even at the very end, that was the person who wasn't listening to him in the beginning. Um, so even that one. So, I don't know. I think I've gotten too close to spoilers there, but... Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. You, everything's fine. Uh, we, haven't, I, we haven't actually spoiled much. I, I just... The movie has a lot of turns, and... Don't get worried about the turns during it because it all makes sense in the end. By the time you've hit the end of the movie, all the things you think, at least for me, all the things I saw that I was nitpicking and saying, oh, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, they were all answered. For different reasons than I thought, but they were all answered. So, uh, um, All right. Well, I got a question for you. Now, yeah. uh, I've had I've had my say while you were uh, out. What did you think about the writing and acting? I thought Joaquin Phoenix did a phenomenal job. I don't know how he could have done a better job with, with this character and this script. Um, I think the supporting actors all did great jobs. Um, like the cops... They turned in really credible performances with just really small roles. 
I mean, they didn't have a lot to work with at all, but they they seemed completely credible as cops. It's like, okay, yeah, I can accept them as cops. Um, Zazie Beats did great with what she had. Um, that's Domino from Deadpool 2. Oh, I thought I recognized her from somewhere. His mom did a great performance. I mean, even like nobodies who just show up for a little bit. Um, the clerk he goes to talk to about paperwork. That guy turned in a good performance. I mean, he didn't need to be, you know, he didn't need to be Al Pacino and Scarface. He, but he turned in a credible performance. It's like, okay, none of them stood out to me as being bad. Uh, so, yeah. Did you think anybody was terrible? No. Uh, the point that you missed was that there there were a couple of things that I want to nitpick that I didn't like. Uh, the whole oh, okay. the, the whole art house feel to the acting. Uh, they had a couple of those, uh, you know, close ups of him smoking while morose music plays. That sort of thing. That sort of yeah, that yeah. made I I rolled my eyes in the theater. It was is I didn't need that. That was part of the the beginning scenes where like we get it. He's He's absolutely miserable, uh, and and he's insane, and and let's all right, let, something can happen now, right? That's okay. Uh, I I expected that going in, but it did make me roll my eyes when it happened. Um, the uh, the the f moving on to the some of the other stuff. I thought the final scene was actually uh, very exciting and tense, and even though even though I I even though I was flush with negative emotions from the story in the film, uh, it was a very good ending uh, to the, uh, to the story. I'm talking about the scene where he, find, he goes public and, and, and bad yeah, yeah. things happen. Very satisfying scene to watch on a couple of levels. Uh, uh, really good stuff. So, so let, let's back up for a sec. Um, because I want to talk about how the movie was constructed. This script was not written to be a Joker movie. Is that so? It had nothing to do with the Joker. This script was originally written to be um, an art house movie about some guy going crazy. And all the primary you know, beats in there that were in there originally were just supposed to be about some guy. Uh, and the director could not get it made because nobody gave a damn. So he went through a rewrite or two, and I guess he knew somebody at Warner Brothers and said, hey, I got this great idea for a Joker script. And he showed it to them, and they said, oh, woohoo! You know, oh, this is great. This is perfect. This is the Joker that we never knew we wanted. So what he did was he added a bunch of stuff about Joker and Batman. He pillaged, and I don't, I'm not saying that in a negative way, like in the, in the scene where he goes on um, the talk show, he uh, comes out and he kisses the Dr. Ruth character. Mm-hmm. That's a scene uh, taken from The Dark Knight Returns. Um, and that's there to make the fanboys go, oh, oh, I recognize that. 
Um, yeah, that's true. Stand- there, there were a couple of homages. That wasn't the only homage to that story, but go ahead. And he's standing there, he's smoking, and his arm is straight up. It's a pose that doesn't appear anywhere else in the movie when he's smoking. Um, and it looks kind of artificial on Joaquin Phoenix, because that's not how he smokes. But that's exactly how the Joker is holding his cigarettes in The Dark Knight Returns. And so that's how, you know, that's another callback to it. Um, and the characters of Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne and Alfred uh, all making appearances. Again, those are all just general Batman, um, Wayne Manor and such. Those are all just general Batman. And then some scenes are specific Batman references. Now that's, um, that's, that's interesting. That, that sort of puts the pieces together. And, and I'm interrupting you because I just re- recognize that I think those were the weakest parts of the film. The Anything involving the Waynes were very weak. Yeah. What did you think? I, di- I didn't find... Um, Thomas Wayne was not the compelling character he usually is in movies or the comics. He's usually very strong, very sure, uh, very compassionate character. And this Thomas Wayne was stepping all over his tongue and uh, sticking his foot in his mouth and just making things worse. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. But... Yeah, this this originally wasn't supposed to be Batman, so everything that had to do with Bruce Wayne uh, or the Joker um, visually um, was something they added to. Now, maybe in the original movie he was a clown, and that was just you know there to be uh, a, a contrast because it was about a guy going psychotic. It was about a guy you know, uh, who's taking one too many shots to uh, being beat down and beat up and, and going crazy. And he may have just been a clown in the original script um, to contrast, hey, I've got this happy job where I entertain people, um, but I'm going crazy and I've become a, a murderous clown. Maybe it was, uh, you know, so that may have already been there, and they just changed the clown thing at the end to be Joker instead of uh, whatever his original clown name was, which they mentioned in the movie, and I forgot. Oh, it seems plausible. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying it was a bad idea. There's a lot of people out there saying, oh, this is a terrible idea. It it had nothing to do with the Joker. So, so I mean, that's actually a good question. I'm glad... I'm glad I was meandering there for about 30 seconds so I could actually bring up this question and answer it. Knowing that this movie wasn't written to be a Joker movie and having sat through it, do I think that this movie is therefore not a Joker movie? Do they miss the character? Is this a completely alien character who isn't the Joker and who, uh, therefore, they just made a bad movie. They've made a Jake Skywalker, you know, mistake like they did in The Last Jedi. Is this Jake Joker? Um, 
And I, I would have to say no. I don't think they did. I think in very, very critical ways, this is the Joker. Um, and the most critical way is he just doesn't care about anything. Uh, when this street revolution starts, it's not his cause. He doesn't care about it. Joker doesn't care about the people around him. He doesn't care about other people's causes. And he only, he only makes alliances with other people insofar as they can help him. He doesn't love other people. And he doesn't really do causes. And this Joker very clearly doesn't do causes. He prompted or caused a rebellion on accident. Mm -hmm. And he's happy to take adulation. He's happy to accept adulation. But he doesn't care about their uh, revolution. He doesn't care about them. And he you know, absolutely doesn't care about them as people, which is another way this is like Antifa. Uh, and another way this is like, you know, Occupy Wall Street and whatever. Um, but it's also the Joker to a T. I mean, that's who the Joker is. Um, you know, he's a stand-up comedian. Does that conflict with origin stories for the Joker? Well, the Joker doesn't really have concrete, stable origin story. His origin story keeps on changing and changing and changing. Uh, in The Killing Joke, uh, Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, he was a stand-up comedian who got beat up. And that's part of what turned him into the Joker. So in that sense, yeah, you could view this movie as kind of an extended cut of those couple of scenes from uh, the killing joke. Yep. So I don't think this is off the trail of the Joker's, uh, of the Joker as a character. They've gotten a little bit more specific with his origin than has pretty much ever been done before, but I don't think that they veered away from the core of the Joker. I, I agree. Uh, I was surprised to find out that it really wasn't a Joker uh, script because it, it worked. Uh, I Of course, I knew that the Joker's not supposed to have a origin story, but it definitely worked. It's It, it was plausible and, and uh, that it would be the Joker the whole time. So I agree 100%. Uh, but that sort of brings to another interesting question. If this film had been made uh, as originally intended, if it were not a Joker film, if it were just, hey, here's here, you know, here's a dark artsy character study uh, in the vein of Taxi Driver, would you have gone to see it? Nobody would have gone to see it. Nobody would have cared. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right about that. 
I hate to say it, but if it didn't have the Joker name on it, nobody would have cared. Even with even with the star power of Joaquin Phoenix doing yet another, you know, art film. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably definitely, right. Definitely, it wouldn't be mass mass media entertainment. So. And it sure wouldn't be crushing the box office like it is right now. Um, well, that's interesting to definitely, so we're, we're definitely interested and in, we're gushing about a movie that was sort of unpleasant for both of us. Isn't that a strange position to be in? Well, I'm not gushing about it. I'm just gushing. Oh. <laughs> we don't gush on the geek gab. That's right. That's a, that's a law. Um, I do. A.M. Freeman in the chat has a question though. If you want to hit that real quick before we take off. I, I actually don't see that question. Oh, here it is. What do you think about how soft and timid he is at the beginning? Do you think you tried doing the right things for a while and finally gave up trying after so many things fell apart? Hmm, that is a good question. I, uh, of course, of course, I didn't like it. Uh, nobody likes that kind of behavior, and and I didn't recognize it as him trying to do the right thing. Uh, I, it's clear that when he starts to make his turn that he's, he feels like he's found something that makes sense, right? Oh, finally, you know, this is me. This is who I am. And unfortunately, uh, it's a murdering psychopath. But uh, one of the quotes he writes down in his book is the worst thing about uh, having a condition is that the world expects you to act as if you're not crazy. Yeah. I, I think he, when he's acting soft and timid, he's trying to act like a normal person and he just doesn't really know how. And so he's trying to act as normally as he can. And it, uh, it's very, very difficult for him. He's always had, and we see in the movie that even before he, uh, is the medication thing, is that a big spoiler? Could I drop that? Go ahead. Even before he stops taking his medications, he has severe problems with different things. The medications just are not treating his not treating his symptoms well. Um, and so he's just trying to live life with his condition and not, um, and trying to fit in, trying to be inconspicuous, trying to be normal. And he just can't do it. Um, and so he's he's got a job where he's trying to be normal as a as a clown. He's working on the uh, working on being a stand up comedian. Um, and when he finally starts to uh, break bad, to borrow the southern term that got turned into a TV show. Um, yeah, he gets a lot more confident because 
he doesn't care anymore about trying to conform to sanity or society or decency or morals. He's just going to do exactly what he wants. Um, so it's not, I, I don't think it's so much as doing the right thing as he's trying to do the sane thing. Or what he doesn't, or what he perceives to be sane, which is which is part of the point is that he just simply does not understand how normal people are. Yeah. So there you have it. I hope that was a satisfactory answer. Um, I think that's all I had to say about the film. What about you? I can't think of anything else right now. All right, man. It's been a lot of fun talking to you about this. And I appreciate everybody asking questions in the chat and everybody listening uh, later, uh, etc. And so uh, thanks for the show, Daddy Warpig. And see you next time. Um, I guess my final verdict on the show is that uh, it's well acted and well made. Um, and it's an incredibly uncomfortable viewing experience, at least for me. Um, and uh, on that basis, if that sounds like your cup of tea, then go for it. It'll be exactly what you're looking for. Uh, I want to thank everybody who turned in live, listened to the show. Uh, and I want to thank everybody who will tune in later. Those of you listening to this on youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab, or those of you listening to us on soundcloud.com google play store or the uh itunes store just do a search for geek gab and we are available there to listen on the device of your choosing we are signing up for today but don't you worry don't you fret we will be back